Oh, yes, boys. You thought it was only going to be once a week? Not a chance. We've got the Boost National on there. We've got to hear from Kevin. It's time to roll out one of our special shows. Here we go. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right here, Last guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. In three, two... That's the professional way, boys, of doing an intro on a podcast. Okay, In three, two, and off we go. Hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome. And Kevin Martin and Warren Hanson, our two Hall of Famers, coming out with a special edition of Inside Curling. We're going to do a bunch of these uh, this year. The Nestle Boost Grand Slam of Curling event is on in Chestermere. If you don't know where that is, it's effectively Calgary, just outside. And uh, Kevin's down there this week and he's going to give us an update today. We want to thank all our sponsors and encourage you to uh, support them. They're supporting curling, and uh, it's great to have them on board. Coyote Tractor, Sports Interaction, Gold Line, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. So uh, on this special show today, we're going to get the update from Kevin. And then there was a great interview, Kevin, you did with Jennifer Jones and Caitlin Laws. And I'll tell you what, they certainly aren't wishy-washy about their opinions on things, Kevin. It was it was really good, and we're going to hear that uh, later on in the show. But let's get to Kevin right now. Kev, and uh, I watched the curling yesterday. Great little tilt between Jennifer Jones and Flurry, uh, and the Epping-McEwen battle went on last night. But give us your take, Kev, on everything. Well, yeah, you know, the event, the, the Boost Nationals, it's going really well. The arena for the weekend, I believe, is is sold out or pretty much sold out. So that's good. It'll be fun for the players to get in front of a good a good crowd here down uh, in Chestermere, which you said is just a few minutes outside of Calgary. But on the women's side, you're right. That Jones-Flurry game, those two teams are are really playing well. And, of course, Hasselborg and Terenzoni on the other side on the A-Semis. So, you know what? It's uh, the world champs, Terenzoni, the Olympic champs, Hasselborg, and then the two teams that you really have to look forward to in uh, in the trials uh, getting near the top have to be Jones and Flurry. You know, Jones losing the final Flurry in the last Grand Slam, and here they are in the A semi playing each other. One team that you have to notice though is Holman. I expected that, like they've been working really hard. I see them practice all the time at the Savile Sports Center, but they're struggling. Mm-hmm. They're they're really struggling as a team, and and it's not good timing for for a team to uh, to run into that right now, right before the trials. And then let's go over to the men's side, and uh, it's funny, you know, the final four. In the uh, in the semis, you got Peter de Cruz and Nicholas Adine. Of course, they've won Olympic medals, uh, <laughs> championships galore. And on the other side, you've got Bruce Mowat again and Brad Gushu. So the amount of medals on that ice was fantastic. And uh, Gushu comes out and makes a beautiful, sort of a really thin tick, angle tick double 
on his last. And if he doesn't make contact with the rocks in the forefoot, he loses. Makes a thin tick double for the win. So just terrific curling, and, and those four teams are on a roll. One of note that we just have to mention, that's Team Epping. One of the best teams in the world, but they've started this year at 14 wins, 18 losses, struggling like crazy. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, how do you write the ship at this point? Only a few days to go before the trials. Uh, it's going to be tough because now they're out of this event. So I don't know if they'll have any more games. I just don't know how you do it. But anyway, it's certainly building up to a terrific Olympic trials, watching the curling here and seeing the teams that are going well and the teams that aren't going so well. What do you see in Epping, uh, Kevin? Why is he struggling uh, so much? He was That game wasn't bad up to six ends, and then it just kind of crumbled for him in the last couple ends. Well, yeah, and, and McEwen's team aren't going very well. So, you know, um, right now, actually, Mike McEwen himself, I shouldn't say the team. The, the McEwen team is actually playing pretty good. It's just Mike himself is struggling. And in, in Epping's case, it's really the whole team. They're just not in sync. John himself, uh, technically, like he's never been a real technical thrower. He's been more of an artist. Mm-hmm. But right now, he's not sliding straight. He's, he's really having trouble getting... Mike uh, Harris on the broadcast uh, mentioned it a couple of times where he's throwing to the edge of four on one side of the sheet, and his slider is actually on the other side. So he's sort of sliding out sort of sideways, and boy, it's hard to make curling shots when you're technically not sound, and that's, that's what's happening right now. John's just not feeling it, and I guess he's got a few days to practice and get ready to go, but it's going to be a tough hill to climb. What would you tell them, Kevin? You got McEwen uh, and, and Epping. If you were coaching them, what would you say to them? Yeah, in the case of McEwen, it's not quite so desperate because the team's playing well. So somehow, you've just got to get one player in stride. And, and Mike seems to be throwing it okay. I think, I think his issues are more between his ears right now and, and uh, just getting confident. So that could switch in a, in a minute. I wouldn't be quite so worried there. With Team Epping, though, you've got everybody struggling. And uh, they even made a, um, a change at lead. Uh, they moved Langer to second from... Mm-hmm from lead and move Matt Cam down to lead, trying to, trying to change things up, but it, it hasn't made any difference. It's just the whole, the whole group needs to get things going. Kev, is the format going to stay the same for the uh, season? This is a triple knockout. That's a lot of curling, and I wonder if that has something to do with some of these teams not being able to sort of endure it. Do you like the format, Kevin? I do like the format. From a television point of view, it's kind of interesting because you, you never know who's going to play who until right before because you never know who's going to win or lose and who's going to drop right. into B or drop into C. So that's kind of interesting. But from a amount of games point of view, it, it's quite a simple draw. It's win three before you lose three. So that's, it's pretty fair. So I, I certainly like the format. It will be the same all year other than the players championship. The players is only a, a 12 men and 12 women, mm-hmm. two pools of six. The players is just more difficult to get into. And I, I don't think the players should change. I like that. It's a very difficult event to get into, very difficult to win, and it's one of the marquee events in our sport and has been for, geez, since, what, 1993, I think it started. So mm-hmm. it's been a terrific event for that long, so I hope it doesn't change. I like the triple knockouts. I think it's a very fair way to go. It is a grind, there's no question. But with round-robin plays, a lot of times somebody at 0-4 will be playing somebody 4-0, and and the 0-4 is already out of the bond spiel but has to play. Right. Whereas in a triple knockout, every single game, the players are in the event still. And if you're not in the event, like John Epping now, you're gone. Right. Yeah, I'd like it too. You got a shot there till the very end. Uh, Warren, those are all household names uh, that Kevin's uh, brought up in Jennifer Jones and Terranzoni and Hasselborg. 
Epping, McEwen. Where do all these teams rank right now, Warren? Well, I think if we look at this event, it's quite fascinating. This could almost be a, a pre-Olympic event because I would have to suggest uh, whoever's going to win the Olympics in Beijing, I think they are at this event. I don't think there's probably much question about that. But if we look on the men's side, you've actually got the top 10 ranks in the world are in this event. Jacobs, Mawat, Gushu, Eden, Epping, Kui, Butcher, mm-hmm. McCune, De Cruz, Schwaller. And I think if we have to look forward, I'd put in my bet that uh, one of those teams are going to win the Olympics. So you've got virtually, it's a pre-Olympic event. On the women's side, I might also add back on the men's side, all the men's teams that are playing in the trials in Saskatoon in a couple of weeks are in this event except for one. And that would be the gentleman that we interviewed a couple of days ago, Tanner Horrigan. The rest are all there. On the women's side, pretty much the same thing, except uh, on the women's side, we have the top seven in the world. And then we've got a little uh, a little break. Kim Peterson and Muirhead, who are ranked 8, 9, and 10, aren't there. But then the balance of the teams are all in the top 20. So it's certainly, again, it's the same kind of field. I think the same thing, again, that you're going to see whoever is going to win the Olympics is uh, going to be on the ice this weekend in Chestermere. Uh, so I think if somebody wants to go and watch this event, you're kind of watching the pre-Olympics. I find it also kind of uh, interesting, if I look at the teams in the Canadian side, Flurry doing extremely well, qualified again out of a, won the last event. I think right now that's probably got to be the hottest team in Canada from the women's side and one to watch. Jennifer Jones is right there as well. But what I find quite amazing is the other two top teams, Anderson and Holman, they're both struggling, both down in the third qualifying round fighting for their lives. So watch to see what happens there. On the men's side, Kind of the same thing. You've got Gushu was strong in the last slam event. He qualified out of A. He's doing the same here this week again. And we look at Kui. He's down in B. He's struggling a bit, but he's still right in there. But Jacobs Botcher, they're also down in C. So both on the men's side and the women's side, a couple of our top teams in Canada in both cases aren't doing that well. But it's going to be an amazing weekend to see this unfold for the next couple of days. Of course, Fleury's good, you guys. She's from Sudbury, my hometown. Right, it doesn't. They don't just make hockey players there. Okay, they make good curlers. <laughs> I was there once, Kevin. How about you? Let's see, the Sudbury Wolves, right? With the the wolf that comes down the line from the from the ceiling every time they score a goal, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, I used to come out on Friday night games. I'd go, and uh, yeah, they it was a stuffed wolf on a clothesline. Okay, and a guy would have to work the clothesline, Kevin, when it, when, when the wolf scored. There'd be this howl, and then this guy would be shoveling this wolf out until <laughs> until a, a couple of guys almost broke their leg because the thing was a hundred years old, and fur and skin kept falling <laughs> off the thing onto the ice. So they, had, they had to stop doing it. But um, Kevin, how do teams get into Grand Slam events? It's off a ranking system. So you have to be the top ranked in the world to get the invite. So the top 16 get invited, and then they decide if they're coming or not. And if, say, a team like Mirhead couldn't come this week, then you go to the 17th. It's, it's as simple as that. It has nothing to do with anything other than your consistent play, period. Like, you've just got to earn the right to get the invite. Do you know which teams are kind of knocking on the door then, Kev, that we, that, that we, we should be watching for? Well, Tanner Horgan is certainly one. Casey Scheidegger, she's in the uh, women's trials. They've been in slams before, but they, they're, you know, they're sometimes in, sometimes not in. Kelsey Rock, even from Edmonton, is, is sometimes in, sometimes not in. Jacqueline Harrison, 
same thing. Right. Those are all the teams that are really close and uh, sometimes they're in and sometimes they don't get in and, and it's just a matter of, of playing really well. Jason Gunlickson on the men's side is like that. Mm-hmm. He's kind of been there more than not lately because he's uh, just getting better, you know, and, and as teams, you know, find their place, then uh, then they'll stay in the slams for a long time and and then, you you know, get the old the older players that start to, to retire, then the young ones coming up fill the void. Right. Because, you know, it's just kind of the way it works. It's a, it's a who's who of curling on the men's and women's side in the world. Kelsey Rock, that's a household name. Related to Marcel? Yeah, Marcel. Uh, no, I shouldn't speak out of school. I think Marcel's her cousin or uncle. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think so. Definitely in the same family, though, for sure. Uh, good stuff, Kev. Uh, so a couple more days left, and then... Uh... You're you're right back at it, uh, Kevin. Well, no, you're going to get a week off. Is that what you said? And then, and where are you going? Where are you going now? <laughs> head head south to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, to uh, to do the men's and women's Olympic curling trials for NBC. So that'll be a lot of fun. And the mixed doubles Olympic trials were last week. I was down in uh, Eveleth, Minnesota, to do those. And you know, curling is it's just viewed differently in in the U.S. and in Canada. It's just uh, it's a very deep sport. They've got lots of great athletes. It's just sort of the way the crowd views this. It's, 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 I really enjoy it. It's just different. And uh, I get a real kick out of it and enjoy it. So I, I'm looking forward to getting down. What, to, what do you mean when you say well, that? Well, just more energized, I think. Uh, I would say the average viewer in the States, and Warren, you've worked with the U.S., so you'd be able to, to tell me if I'm crazy or not. But it seems to me that the viewing audience is younger yes. in the U.S. And with that comes energy. When Vicki Persinger made her last shot, uh, which is an amazing shot, the place almost erupted like it like it i thought the glass was going to fall out of the building like it was it was crazy and uh it was a terrific shot but but that kind of an explosion of cheering it was wild so i, I don't know warren do you think i'm right in in that the average age of maybe the viewer and the fan is younger yes without question i think the age of both the fan and participant are a little younger in the united states and there's a huge curiosity about curling in the united states because it's not a household name like it is in Canada. Uh, as a result, younger people are quite attracted to it. Uh, it's got a different uh, feeling to it in the United States than it does in Canada. It's more mainstream. Canada it's still, despite everything we've done over the years, has still kind of got this niche type of uh, feeling to it to parts of our country. But it's it's quite different down there. And it's a younger crowd overall. And of course, when you go into, Kevin, you're going to have a great experience in Omaha because we did the trials there in 2017. And we actually got close to three, 4,000 people out a couple of times. And the interesting thing about it is they don't know much about curling, if in some cases, anything. So if, if you're stopped in a concourse, you're going to be asked all kinds of questions that you're going to say, okay, yeah, really? Uh, but they're, they're not uh, as familiar with the sport, but they're really enthused about it. For the most part, I find that people down there, once they've been exposed to the sport, they love it. And it's why I think the sport has such a huge future for it in the United States if it just gets a little more traction. To your point, Warren, I, I was uh, just in the in the outside, like coming in, the athletes and commentators, we were never allowed to, inside the building, talk to fans. Like there, it was completely cordoned off. We were in our own little bubble. But outside, I was just standing outside. It was a beautiful day. So I was just standing outside. And one of the fans came up and said, can I ask you a question? Sure, of course. Yeah. Well, don't think I'm I'm dumb, but this is, what is the hammer? Everybody talks about this hammer. Where is the hammer? And I go, oh my goodness. Right. This is a really nice guy. Like he may be about, I don't know, 30, 30, 32 years old and kind of shy to come up and ask, but 
he just I, I I can't figure this out. I'm watching these curling games and everybody's talking about the hammer and, and I'm too embarrassed to ask what the hammer is. So <laughs> so I told him it's whenever whoever has the last shot. That's it. That's what the hammer means. It's just like it's an even amount of rocks. Each team gets eight. So somebody has to start. Well, whoever starts, the other team's gonna have the last one, right? If you take turns. Right. And he went, Yeah. Well, that's the hammer. Like, don't overthink it. It's just the person that controls the last rock because it matters. Because you have the say. You have the last say. Anyway, it was it was really funny and just a super nice guy. And but to Warren's point, yeah, the questions are quite simplistic mm-hmm. <laughs> that you get from the crowd. But the crowd loves it and they're right into it and and cheering loud and it's it's great. It's just growing like crazy, which is wonderful. Warren, what you say is kind of ironic, but that th- these fans in the states. The growth of the sport seems to be, according to you, Warren, because they don't know much about it. So that's kind of this curiosity that keeps it growing. Is that right? Well, there's a big challenge in the United States is with facilities. And most of the curling, or I should say most of it, a very large portion of it is done on arena ice. So it, they're sharing ice with a hockey team. And so they're, they're dealing with, in many cases, very difficult conditions and challenges. And in some of these cities, too, it's it's really hard to even let people know that you are running curling on some hockey ice and you're looking for participants. So it just hasn't got the visibility that it does in Canada. It's not as mainstream. It's not on a major television network on a regular basis like right. it is in Canada. So people just aren't as familiar with it. And once they seem to get attracted to it for whatever reason, they fall in love with it. Two years ago, we did the U.S. Nationals in Spokane at the University of Eastern Washington. And so we were right on the campus. So there's a lot of university students were coming in the building. And, and it was amazing. They were just fascinated with it. Some just, they just wanted to touch. What's that ice like? I want to touch it. Can I feel one of those rocks? What, what are they really like? Mm-hmm. That kind of curiosity and fascination with it. And once they seem to get attracted to it in some way, shape, or form, they really love it and uh, want to be part of it. So it's going to take some time and some things are going to have to happen down there that uh, hopefully get it more visibility. But I do still believe it's really going to catch in the U.S. eventually. Uh, Kevin, is Jennifer Jones the best female curler ever? Oh, I think so. No, no, there's lots of names, you know, uh, Annette Norberg, Sandra Schmerler. There's there's other players, uh, Vera Pezer, um, that have to be in the conversation. But but Jennifer, boy, oh boy, like, uh, she's still top of the game. Um, kind of ageless. Yeah, and, and has been for a very long time. And, you know, if, if you need somebody to make a big shot at a big time, boy, I don't know who else you'd pull out of the out on the ice to make that shot. If you need something big made late in the game, I think she's the one, and she's been the one for many, many years. Uh, she's down there this week, and uh, on her team, her and uh, Caitlin Laws sat down with you, Kevin, uh, and, and I listened to this interview, and like I said at the top of the show, they're not wishy-washy, Kev, when you ask them some opinions about... <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> yeah, about rule change. So we'll, we'll, let's have a listen to this, and we'll talk about it after. Thank you very much, Jennifer, Caitlin, for taking the time. I know things are real busy, lots of games going on and, and the photo shoot next door and all of that, but I appreciate your time. Uh, Caitlin, first, you may realize that uh, with this being an Olympic year, you have an opportunity to do something nobody's ever done, and that would be medal at three straight Olympics, or even better, a gold medal at three straight Olympics. Um, Annette Norberg being the only other uh, 
team or players that have done such a thing. So uh, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, your inside thoughts, inside your head of having an opportunity that nobody else has had. To be honest, I haven't thought about that. I'm just really in the moment. I want to get to the Olympics with this team. So the ultimate goal is winning Olympic gold this year. But yeah, I haven't really thought about what's happened in the past, just really staying present right now. Okay, so let, now let's talk to Jennifer about, and hopefully she'll tell the truth. Okay. Uh, thoughts of getting back to one more Olympics. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts because uh, it's hard out of Canada to get there. It is very hard out of Canada for sure to get to the Olympics. And I feel like we've tried for so many years and we've only been to one. Um, and we, we made it an experience of a lifetime. And truly that is what the Olympics is. It's an experience of a lifetime. We had so much fun. And so you always want to get back. It's like a kid going to a candy store. Like you just, that's all you want to do is get back to that big event. It's a dream come true every single day. So that's our goal for sure is to stand on top of the podium at the trials and to experience the Olympic dream one more time. So let's talk about, I guess, the, your schedule and trying to peak, obviously, not once, but twice. And uh, I guess how, how you're planning. Caitlin, uh, a bit of your, your team's plan as far as this fall, the schedule of events, and maybe maybe even the scheduling of not the events. It's been obviously an interesting time with the pandemic and we wanted to sign up for as many events as we could in the fall because we didn't know if the events were going to run. So we played a little bit heavier schedule September, beginning of October. And now going into these slams, it's a great schedule, slam, week off, slam, week off trials. So we're, we feel like we're in a really good place. We've had a great amount of training and it's all part of our plan. And we're really excited that we've had the opportunity to play as much as we have so far. So yeah, you've went the direction of playing quite a lot. And now, so uh, Jennifer, off ice then, uh, not just, I don't think in the gym, but also uh, mental training, making sure when it comes to the trials, you're sharp. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of that, like really focusing on our team and our teamwork and how we're functioning well as a team. And I, I we're super happy with all of that. We're having a ton of fun and feeling like everything's going in the right direction. So off the ice, it's just about trying to enjoy your family time, trying to get some downtime, some relaxed time, but then also just, you know, thinking about what we're going to try to do at the trials and try to enjoy the moment and have some fun. And that's probably the big goal right now. I want to talk a little bit about mixed doubles, Caitlin, for a second, because obviously you did very well at the last Olympics with gold. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to hear about mixed doubles more uh, generally as to, like, I love it, as you know, love the game. How are we going to get that game built up to maybe not equal with the four-person game? But it seems to me it's more, well, we're going to play our four-person game and then we'll play mixed doubles rather than kind of having them on par. I think that's just been the culture of our sport because it's still so new in Canada. But what I love about mixed doubles is it's great for TV. The length of the game, it's fast paced, it's high scoring and fans love it. We had such positive feedback after the Olympics that everyone enjoyed watching it and they want to see more of it. So I think that's the next step to get people more dedicated to mixed doubles is to have opportunities to have it on TV. Because the four person game has the sponsorship opportunities and more television time, uh, that's where people are going to lean, lean to go. But uh, with mixed doubles, if we do have some more televised events, I think you'll see people playing a lot more of that. Jennifer, uh, this is really, I really want to talk about this. You guys have a real five-person team, like an all-star, like a five-person all-star team. It's not like four and a fifth. In my opinion, with Lisa Weigel, she could fit anywhere in there. So has that been a plan as she played with the team this year already? And will that be the five-female team in the trials and if you win in the Olympics as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. We when Lisa became available and we scooped her up, it was a dream come true. Truly, I, I believe it's where curling is going to go with the schedule that we have and injuries and with uh, women having kids and it's a lot to only have a four person team. You're, I think you'll see more of it in the future. And we were just so fortunate that Lisa was available and joined our team. So she played with us last year when Dawn was off and she's played an event this year. She's played. She'll play a couple of events um, or a couple of games here, and then we're just going to see. Going forward, how it looks. Um, I think when we get to the trials, we'll probably just have one person play most of the games, um, unless there's a reason to not have that happen. But we're truly a five-person team, and we have so much respect for each and every one of, of our teammates, and we, we feel very, very blessed. Oh, yeah, there's no no question about mm. the level of all the players <laughs> on, that, on that team. But for you to say that you think that's a, a direction the game will be going, that's a wonderful statement. Caitlin, could that maybe open up some mixed doubles I've never heard anybody say that ever. But if that is the case, which would be great, does that help maybe some mixed doubles opportunities because you've got a a five-person team all the time? Yeah, it opens up the door for many different reasons. So to be able to have the flexibility to either have some time with your family, recover from injuries, play mixed doubles if you want to get an event in, uh, and also if you're pregnant or expecting with a child, then it allows some rotation. And I think especially on the female side, that's going to be the way it's going forward. Huh. Yeah, that's awesome. Proposed rule changes at the World Championship. I'd like to talk to each of you about each one. So the first one, the uh, the no-tick zone, Jennifer. I like the rule. I don't mind it. I think it's going to create um, a lot more offense um, late in games, and it will make things a little bit more interesting. But in my opinion, I don't think you want to go out and measure if it's touching the center line or not. Like I think it's just if there's a guard in play, you can't touch it. And uh, I think it would just make things a lot simpler. And even in mixed doubles, they have a, a lot of teams when somebody power plays will tick the guard in. And again, maybe you'd implement the rule there because the whole idea of that guard was to try to create some more offense and it's almost becoming more of a defensive move. So I don't mind the no tick rule, to be honest. I, I think it'll not change the great game drastically and maybe creates just a little bit more interest. Well, obviously what you, what you say in the game matters a lot. And I, I, I think that's really interesting. Once again, something that hasn't been said, and that's not just having the no tick zone, have the rock on the center line, but laid out front, can't move it until the, f- the fifth rock has been thrown. Interesting. That's, that's a big change. Caitlin. It, yeah. I agree with Jen in the sense that, we can't be just going out and measuring rocks on the center line. Like who it's going to be so subjective. Whose opinion is it? If it's on the center line or not, like there has to be a concrete way to measure that. And I don't know if we have that tool Isn't out that the there. Of a cigarette package? Isn't that-, <laughs> that was on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it on Twitter? Well, that's what we did back in the day. Back in the day. Did it go over the hog line? You'd, have you even seen a cigarette package, Caitlin? Like, I don't know. It used to be a thing, you know, and you'd slide it up and, and see if the rock went over the hog line. That's anyway, funny. Anyway, oh, that's the way yeah. it used to be, but when I used to curl. When I was young. <laughs> uh, anyway, the four-minute thinking, well, I shouldn't say four-minute thinking time for the game. It's four minutes for the first half, four-minute, 15-second, second half of the game. Caitlin, your thoughts on, on that? I do not like it. Period. <laughs> period. Period. Oh, why? What, what, what's it going to do to the game? That, that... I think it takes away from the game. Uh, to be able to save some time and have moments of discussion, I think we're going to be racing just to make sure that the skip has enough time each end, and that just takes away the decision-making. So I think, yes, potentially for TV, you're going to know exactly how long the game is going to be, but it's going to take away from great shot-making. I think people have to just play a little bit more open because they don't want to have to think 
too much out there because I don't have the time to do it. Yeah, I don't like it either. For the same reason, we tried it at the Canada Cup a few years ago and it just looked like everybody was racing around and you didn't have the discussions, you didn't have the strategy discussions. And a big part of curling to me is the strategy behind the game and and what's going on in in everybody's minds trying to figure out shots like four shots ahead and it just really didn't happen. I don't see think you see teams banking time like they did where you blank a bunch of ends. We do have a lot of blank ends, but that's just because we're really good at hitting. So I, I don't think that's the reason that I don't think that's going to change that. And it really did not work well at the at the Canada Cup. And you just had skips flying all over the ice trying to get in the hack to throw their last rock. And I don't think that speed curling is really where curling should be going. That's fair. No extra ends, but then also a four-point potential scoring situation where three points for a clean win, two points. At the end of a tie, draw the button. If you win that, you get two points. You lose that, you get one point and then zero for a complete loss. So it's kind of a two-pronged question, Jennifer. Uh, no extra ends, and then four different scenarios of the outcome. I think you should have extra ends. I, in any sports, I don't agree with making it a skills competition to win the game. Like, it just... It takes away from what the game the game is all about, and it's not just about a draw to the button. And uh, it just... To, to me just takes away the fundamental parts of, of curling. So I believe there should be an extra end. And uh, if you win an extra end, you win an extra end. Like even how we break tiebreakers with cumulative draw to the buttons, like it, there's just so many different factors that go into that. Everybody has different ice conditions. You just never know what you're going to get for a draw to the button. So I've, I've never really been a proponent of that. And that's just taking it to a next level. And to win an Olympic championship on a draw to the button just doesn't seem the way it should ever be. Caitlin, do you think that maybe part of the thinking um, from the World Curling Federation in this regard is because they really try, they're trying to get away from tiebreakers? And with either a win or a loss, there could be a big mess in the middle. But if there's three points, two point, one point, zero points, they're thinking maybe there'll be a bigger separation in the pool and therefore less ties and reason for tiebreakers or, or does that carry does it carry any water yeah I think with a sport like hockey where throughout the whole entire season they're playing so many games the point system works but if we're playing just a short round robin I don't think there's enough I don't know, information or games to get to that level so for curling I like tiebreakers I like knowing that I still have a chance to play a game and not just a skill like a draw the button I mean, we might as well have like a hot shots competition and get all the skills involved if we're going to be doing just a skills competition. So I would much rather tiebreakers and again, yeah, extra ends. And and three, I don't, two, one, I don't think zero, the points three. works with a short round robin. I think you need a bigger, broader amount of games for that to maybe work. I completely agree. And I can't even imagine the Masters in golf. You've watched it for four days. It comes down. Everybody's tied. And it's like, okay, long drive or long putt wins the Masters. Like... And that's really fundamentally what we're trying to do here. And I, and I agree with Caitlin. Like especially at the Olympic Games, I, I think there's only nine teams in it. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not sure exactly, but it's just not a big enough sample size to to do that. And you win a game, you win a game. And to me, it doesn't matter whether it's in an extra end. Do you get extra points if you win in seven ends? Oh no, right? You have to play eight. So maybe you get extra points if you win in the eight. Then I'm not sure. Like if there, it it really. I, 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 yeah, I just, I don't like it. And I think they're just really trying to fit into a broadcast window. And we just have to be careful that we don't change the integrity of the game that we love so much.
Kev, these uh, rules that you asked about seem to be front of mind for all the curlers, what the WCF wants to try and rule changes. They certainly didn't hold back, Kev, with extra ends and having uh, time limits on, on the ends. They say absolutely no way, the two of them. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think it's important that the top players, uh, and of course, Jennifer and Caitlin would certainly be that, you know, our top players in the sport need to say what they think. Um, and I think it's terrific that the players are are exactly putting it very straightforward, what their thoughts are on on, on these various uh, rule, potential, I shouldn't say rule changes, that's not right, potential rule changes in the game. And uh, But I think it's great, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting once these have been put into play to talk to all these great curlers again and then see what they say because you know obviously some of the stuff we haven't even tried before so you you know it's kind of neat to put it into play and then see how they react say next year you've lined up some great guests for us and this this question has come up even when we started doing this show nobody kevin seems to be too hip to the time limit on the ends most seem to be saying they don't think that's right and it's going to take away from the cool part of curling which is strategy it seems to me boys this curling thing is just begging for eight ends and i'm surprised it hasn't happened yet what do you think kev of that like is it just not let's just get this thing done get it to eight ends and off we go it'll solve a lot of problems yeah i think you're probably right that might be the negotiation that ends up happening if the players we haven't had one player talk about the four minute uh, thinking time per end as a, as a positive. So, right. you know, when it comes right down to it, if the players feel that strongly, then, you know, likely it won't go that way, at least not for a while, but maybe the fallback position is okay. If we need to, you know, wrap the show in two and a half hours, including uh, advertisement time, then maybe we have to go to eight ends and maybe that'll be the negotiation between the players and the world curling federation. I don't know, you know, where it'll come back down to, but, but the players have been pretty strong on this. They have tried it before. This has been in, in other events. Um, so it's not that the players haven't tried, uh, the thinking time per end. So, you know, the, the sport evolves. I, and, uh, I've always said that it's great to try new things. And then sometimes it works out really, really good. Like thinking time itself, you know, that was a crazy thought years ago and of course it, it was absolutely the right thing to do we started it in the grand slams and I, I don't see any problem with trying this stuff but after you do it for a while then you want to listen to the players the people that have the vested interest understanding that the games do have to be done quicker than they are today a 10 end regular game at three hours 15 minutes three and a half hours that's simply too long yeah can't that continue. doesn't work in the modern day world i like what jennifer jones said you guys about uh I was laughing my head off. You, you know, you're talking about extra ends and maybe the, maybe they won't do that. Maybe it'll be a draw to the button. And Jennifer said, okay, if you're going to do that, you, well, if you watch the Masters golf tournament, effectively, then what you're asking, if there's a tie instead of having <laughs> extra ends in golf, then it would say, okay, let's just go to the range and see who can drive it the furthest or let's go to the putting green and see who makes the first 20 footer. Uh, I, I thought that was yeah, hilarious. But, but we're not talking about determining who's going to win an event here through uh, shootouts. We're talking about round-robin round, round qualification rounds, which is quite a different story. And I think what happens, I've been dealing with this stuff for way too long, but it, it's been, it goes on forever. So what happens when something different is brought to the floor, immediately there's going to be, well, how's it going to impact me? I, I don't like that. And a lot of this resistance also becomes very Canadian. And... 
remember this is world, but we're talking about these changes. And remember the discussion with Graham Prowse. We're trying to move into these other nations and we're trying to present a product that's going to be attractive in these other nations and it fits into broadcast schedules and does a whole pile of other things. So there's a lot behind this. And sometimes I think we have to take our Canadian hat off. And, and I guess in the end, if the World Federation decides they want to move on some of these things and Canada says, no, we don't like it, Canada doesn't have to do it. And that's happened many, many times in the past. And the only time Canada has to play by those rules is when a team goes into World Championship. So let's look at even 10 ends in the game. The game originally with McDonald Tobacco Briar was 12 ends. The World Championship came into existence in 1959 and it was 10 ends from the opening gun. Canada didn't change until 1977 to a 10-end game. The playoff system is the same thing. The World Championship when it came into existence had a playoff and that was in 1959 and Canada didn't go to that until 1980. Then we could look at the Three rock rule initially, which with the WCF accepted the four rock rule. Canada stuck with the three rock rule for about four years, maybe five years before they changed it. So it again is, you got to look at it, it's the world picture. And in the end, if Canada decides they don't want to use that within their borders, that's their prerogative. But I think it's again, we got to keep looking forward and we got to keep trying these things to try and make this sport more appealing. And we just talked about the USA. I think all these things we just hashed out and Kevin's dealing with the U.S. network. I remember being in a discussion two years ago, NBC, and I asked the question, with all these sporting activities going forward, what is going to be the sort of optimum time from a television window? And it was very clearly said two to two and a half hours. So it's not only going to be curling that's going to have to start to adjust a lot of things. Many sports are going to have to do the same thing. When you say that, Warren, so you've got, you know, your governing body, the WCF, uh, so they can lay down some rules, like you point out, Kev, they, they're going to try these. Uh, so they're not done yet. So what you're saying, Warren, they, they lay down these rules, but you don't have to abide by them if you're in, in a different association. I mean, that's like, that's like saying, okay, you've, there's a new rule in golf that you, you know, ground your club in a sand trap and then the other tournament officials go, now forget it. We don't have to abide by that. We're going to do our own. That sounds ridiculous. Every golf course in the world has their own rules. The rules that are used in the PGA Tour are used in the PGA Tour, and somebody might mm-hmm. decide to adopt those for a championship or, or event they're playing in, but they may adjust them to suit their own situation. And so the situation with world rules, the only time those world rules have to be used at a, is at a world championship or an event that's sanctioned by the World Curling Federation. Outside of that, every curling club, every curling association or organization in the world that wants to adjust those rules for their competition are totally open to do so. It's a debate we're going to have in this show one of these days. I don't see the purpose of a five rock rule in the local curling club, yet most of them are doing it. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I'm not sure it's a good thing. So again, this is all things that can be done within your own walls if you choose to. But if you're going to go into a world event, these are the rules. What do you think of that, Kevin? Well, yeah, I don't. I, there's certainly no reason why the, the club you know, your local curling club has to follow exactly the rules of the World Curling Federation. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to top championships, I, I, I like to see them be pretty close. Like there could be a, a subtle characteristic or rule that may not be the same. But for the most part, I think it's important to the viewing audience that the rules are pretty close. Because, you know, you, you watch your, an event from Canada or an event from Scotland or an event from wherever. Yeah, you don't want it to be a complete foreign <laughs> entity. But uh, but the odd little subtle unique rule or characteristic is fine i I see no no problem in that at all well uh good good job boys uh that's that's a wrap and uh of course 
Grand Slam of Curling is all about Sportsnet, and uh, Sportsnet's all about Grand Slam of Curling, and they're bringing you wall-to-wall coverage uh, this weekend, the final weekend of the Boost National. Kev, you're going to be down there. We're going to. You're doing a great job, Kev. By the way, okay, you're really. I'm. I'm proud of you. You're doing a really good. Thanks. Job, me Kevin. too. i get to go i know that guy i do a show with that guy (laughs) the boost national yeah it's gonna wrap up this weekend and it's really good curling kev you said it's sold out but uh go to boost.goigniter.com and check if there's tickets available again full coverage will be provided by sportsnet and sportsnet now uh right through till sunday uh, if you want to send us an email, it'd be great to hear from you. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Thanks a lot to Rod for all the content he's putting up there. Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. Uh, Kev, you got to get back to work. How many games then, Kev, are you doing a day? We do three games a day. Uh, the noon, four, and eight o'clock games. So yeah, I'm going to head, uh, throw a suit on here in a sec and head on down to the rink and, uh, and get ready for the noon, the noon game today. And then we do, uh, two on Sunday because it's, a uh, the men's final, I believe, is first. Women's final in the afternoon. So, terrific weekend of curling ahead. Who are you picking, Kev? Who's going to come through in the end? <laughs> Gee, <laughs> uh, watching Tracy Fleury the way she's going right now, I don't think I'd venture off of that train. They're just unbelievable. And the men's side, uh, Team Gushu, uh, they're just really playing well. Uh, and uh, but don't don't count out Mawat again. Of course, they're just you know that was just an awesome curling game. Uh, between uh, Gushu and Mowat in the uh, A-Final. So, you know, you can certainly see those two teams playing in the final again, and it'll probably come right down to the last rock, and who knows. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. And thank you, uh, fans, for listening to this show. Uh, we're going to be back uh, all through the curling season, and, and these special shows uh, are going to be a big part of it. So take care, everybody. Good luck. Uh, Kev with the uh, finals this weekend at the Blues National. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.